Welcome back. Bow, 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 bow. Could you imagine if I just decided to put air horns in the beginning of every episode? Oh my goodness. We're back, letting it all hang out. A show where we bring together a community of badass people that make me want to get out and live life to the fullest, baby. Today, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Di Manuel. He's a super dad, super husband, and after overcoming obesity as a teen, living with a life-threatening autoimmune condition, and battling addictions, he's found himself on a mission to positively impact one million role models worldwide to lead a functionally fit life, mentally and physically, through education, encouragement, and community. Get ready for this madness. Dai is not only an award-winning digital thought leader, author of The Whole Life Fitness Manifesto, but also a distinguished Toastmaster, keynote speaker, former partner and CEO of a multi-million dollar retail company, and a sought-after lifestyle mentor and executive performance coach. Whew. He says he is honored to have the opportunity to share his discovery from his life-altering experience in 2010 with hopes more men will lead a life of deeper connection and greater fulfillment. So enough of this intro stuff. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, Haley. Hello, Di. How are you? Rocking and rolling. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day here in Vancouver. The sun has been out most of the week, which is really weird this time of year so it's it's nice it's just really nice you know nice. what part of the world are you in i'm in southwest florida well you're used to having lots of sun so uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you won't quite understand how special it is for the sun to be at this time of year in vancouver and uh, even though it's close to freezing it's still absolutely beautiful so uh, it's interesting when they, and their sun's out here in the city they're, they're, the, you can just tell the mood of the city increases pandemic aside it's still it's a nice boost, you know? Yes. Oh, I love that. I can totally see that too. So I moved down to Southwest Florida like a year and a half ago from okay. Seattle, Washington. Oh my so, God. Okay. So we were neighbors. You know exactly what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. What, what, what uh, inspired that move? That's a big move. It is a big move. Yeah. The opportunity came. So my girlfriend, um, she, so her parents were thinking about moving down here, getting a property and then a having us essentially live in it, rent it out. And I know, right. (laughs) Come down here later and then live in it. Um, But that opportunity just got like twisted and turned, but we had visited Florida in the meantime. And we were like, you know what, even though we can't quite do it the way we thought, we loved the warm weather, the beaches, Mm -hmm. just the nature and all the different animals that are all around here. Right. So we're like, let's just do it. Let's say, you know, screw it. And then see what happens and it's been really good so far and it was the main reason was to get away from the gray and the gloom and get into the warm weather yeah i guess so the pacific northwest you know it's that love hate sort of thing if you yeah it's um i mean we had a good period of time away from vancouver you know which was nice so coming back wasn't well, it wasn't as, as shocking, you know, because we knew what we were coming home to, right? Uh, but uh, we had a, our fill of sunshine, and uh, but I still miss it, my goodness. Uh, so it's, it must be wonderful right now in Florida. Yeah, it's nice right now. I even, now that I'm used to the Florida weather, I'm like, oh, 50 degrees, so chilly. Like, I'm going to need a big old sweatshirt and a jacket and everything. <laughs> That's how we got to, well, especially myself. And, and we lived in Bali for two and a half years before moving back here. And uh, 
it just, I mean, you know, it's, it's warm all the time. I mean, it's a tropical island pretty close to the equator. So you just get used to it, but you get so accustomed. And I used to, when I remember when I first moved there, a lot of the locals, you know, the, the Indonesians, they're, they're like wearing parkas you know, and, and riding their bikes and they got long pants on. I'm like, it's like they're going up to Whistler to ski. And I'm like, <laughs> what is going on here? And, and I just couldn't understand it. But then, you know, a couple years into it, I'm like, I'm wearing my hoodie out on my bike. And it's, you know, easily in the 90s, you know, and, wow. uh, but you just, you get acclimatized. It's just, it's neat to see that, right? Because it just yeah. proves how resilient we are at adapting. And, uh, so it was, it was a nice exercise in that uh, uh, realization anyways. Yeah, I bet. Oh, that's so cool. I can't wait to ask you about that. So we'll, we'll ah. see that for a sec. Um, and do you have any questions before we dive in? And No, I'm just super stoked to, to one, to be meeting you, making a new friend. Uh, but also just, just uh, listen, I, I look at these uh, opportunities as very special uh, because, I mean, it's, listen, you're putting a lot of time and energy into creating a platform to provide inspiration, motivation, education, uh, and in a fun way, of course, and uh, to have an opportunity to, to be a part of that and, and to hopefully help inspire and motivate your own audience and connect with them. Uh, I don't take that lightly. So I, I'm just, I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I'm also looking forward to sharing this out with, with, with my networks and uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, future conversations. Cause I, I always look at it. It's like, ah, this is probably the first of many future conversations. So <laughs> yes. I'm always excited about that. That's the goal. Oh, I love that. I can tell this is going to be a really fun one. So mm -hmm. I am super stoked. Let's just like get into it. And I'm sure cool. you get to ask this, at least the genre of question that I'm about to ask probably mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but I'm so curious because you're so fun. You're so energetic. You're so, you know, out there and lively and you have this just awesome presence and energy about you. Thank and you of how people were when they were kids. Cause sometimes mm -hmm. they're either the exact same, like they've never changed or total flip-flop. Like they were the opposite, maybe introverted and shy. So tell me about like what your childhood was like and how that led you to who you are today. <laughs> well, thank you. I, let's, uh, let's go back. Let's go way back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, I'm 44 years young. Okay. Uh, and so I, when I think back to my childhood, it, it, you know, I had a great upbringing. I'm like, definitely, I did not go without, do you know what I mean? Like my parents, they were frugal. They were not overly lavish or anything like that. Like they were, but they were, we, we were okay. You know, we, we were financially, I, my parents did okay. You know, they were able to support us. My, my dad had a practice and he was building that. So he worked a lot. Um, and that was, you know, he loved his work. He, he really did. He, and uh, I admire that because, you know, I, he passed a, a number of years ago and, and I just remember being at the funeral and just, the amount of people that he had impacted positively just through his leadership style, his ability to connect with people, to uplift people and really just run a wonderful business. Uh, and it was just neat to see that reaffirmed because it was a side of my dad. I didn't really know, you know, I just didn't really know. And, uh, because when I got to age nine, you know, it, you know, up to age nine, life was easy. I mean, it is right. Like as much as in the, I, if I go back, yeah, sure. You have your little fits, you're crying, you pout, you, whatever, you know, you fall over on the playground, you cry again. And, I mean, that was the extent of, oh no. And, but then I remember uh, getting home from school one day and it was a Friday and, uh, and it was weird. My dad was home. My dad's normally not home that early on a Friday. I remember my brother arrived home shortly after me and uh, my mom and dad pulling us in to the living room. 
And, and I was like, this is weird. What's going on? You know, like, it's just one of those things. Like, this is so out of our norm. So what's happening here? And uh, they proceeded to tell us that they were going to separate. And it felt like my world fell apart. You know, this, this is over 30 years ago. So it's important to take note that, you know, as, as much as statistically now, divorce, separation, I mean, unfortunately, it is a norm. And it is, there's more on the side of, <laughs> there's more proof of marriages failing, relationships separating than there are for the opposite, you know, and, and it's unfortunate. Um, but that rocked my world, you know, emotionally, psychologically, and ultimately physically as well. Uh, because from that point onward, you know, my, we'd see my dad every other weekend and uh, my mom was leveling up her education, getting her master's while still working full time and also trying to tend to my brother and I. So, I mean, she was run pretty thin, you know, and she had her own love tank issues and wanting to fill that as well and trying to figure out how to be on her own. And so it was a really traumatic time in our household. And also all of a sudden now we had these financial stresses that weren't there before because now there's two households and you know how the world sort of, well, at least in that point, it felt like everything was crumbling. But I learned pretty quick, and this is interesting, Haley, I learned that, you know, these emotions that I had, I hadn't really been modeled or role modeled around me how to speak about my emotions, you know, how, how to communicate how I was feeling. And I was very good at bottling it up, hiding it away, uh, being very reclusive, you know, when it came to anything that would scratch the surface of that emotional person of who I was, you know, and uh, which is unfortunate because... I learned how to self-medicate with food, you know, and, and I'm not talking like, oh yeah, I was overeating salads. No, no, uh, <laughs> that was not the case, right? Uh, I was eating a, a lot of food that was very poor in nutritional value, yet high in calories, right? And, and you can imagine you repeat that day in, day out for five years, you know, until my age of 14. But also along with that, I was getting a lot of dopamine hits from video games computers and uh, also watching a lot of movies, TV. So I had a very sedentary lifestyle on top of that. So five years later, we all know that, you know, those little deposits every day, well, they compound either negatively or positively. In my case, it was positive on the weight gain, negative on how I was feeling emotionally. <laughs> and uh, I was very depressed. I was very withdrawn. I had a very low self-opinion and to the, to the point that, you know, I avoided cameras. I avoided any large social events because I, I didn't like who I was. So I already believe that what's the point of me being in any of these situations? No one's going to like me. I don't even like me. I hate me, you know, and then those feelings come up and, well, don't worry. I'll just have some cake. You know, I'll eat some of that. I'll eat some of that. I'll watch some movies. I'll play some video games. I'll be okay until I wasn't, you know, and then at age almost 15, I broke down. I just, I lost it. You know, like I remember sobbing uncontrollably at my dad's place in the bathroom and, after catching my eyes, you know, catching my glimpse of myself in the mirror, because normally I would just stay in the shower for a really long time. And that would get so much condensation and heat in the bathroom that the mirrors, sorry, would always be covered in condensation and, and, you know, all fogged up. So I wouldn't have to see myself when I got out of the shower. You know, I knew all the hacks, right? All the little tricks. And uh, so here I was just locking eyes and, and, and just filled with disgust, hate, disappointment. And uh, as I was doing the full body scan and just, you know, that question is like, how did I get here? You know, how did this come to be? Like, you know, and at 15, like my, 
my worldly view is pretty limited, <laughs> okay? It's pretty sheltered. Uh, but I didn't know any better, right? Because certain things have not been role modeled to me by any of my spheres of influence, nor by my family. And so it left me in this place where I was just like, I didn't know what to do. Felt very lost. So along came ideas that were rather dark about, hey, maybe it'd just be easier if I wasn't here. And uh, for me, that actually scared me a lot. The, the idea of the finality, the idea of, of leaving my family, the idea of quitting, because that wasn't a word that would be in our household. We, we don't quit. We just double down and get her done. Like it was that, I, the work ethic that my parents put forward and the, the way that they treat education and self-improvement, like it was just, it wasn't really an option. Well, at least it wasn't one that I was willing to make. And, and so that put me in a bit of a bind because I'm like, okay, well, if I accept who I am right now and I keep doing what I'm doing, I know by the time I'm 20, I don't envision it being any better than it is right now. In fact, I, I think it'll be quite the opposite. Am I okay with that? Well, no, I'm not. I'm really afraid of that path. Like that, that's awful. I, I, I can't even, I don't even want to imagine that. And, and so then I'm like, okay, well, what else am I going to do? Well, maybe I try doing something different <laughs> that provides different results. Like maybe I just get healthy. Maybe I figure out how to do that. And, uh, and then I just became very convinced that that is what I got to do. Now, there was a lot of fear there too, okay? <laughs> fear of the unknown. Like, how am I going to do this? Where am I going to do this? Like, oh my gosh, like, you know, at that age too, I, I didn't have Google. <laughs> As I tell my kids, I'm older than Google. Uh, so I had to go to the library, got books out. But, but the, the interesting thing was, you know, I came out of that bathroom and, and I remember sharing with my dad that I wanted to get healthy. You know, and he could see it in my eyes that I was like, holy, he wants to get healthy. Like there's, it was impassioned, but at the same time, there's a lot of seriousness there. And obviously my eyes were bloodshot from all the sobbing <laughs> earlier. So he could tell that I, I was in a place that uh, I was quite serious, you know, because up to that point, as you know, most parents, they, they want to thrust upon their children when they're in pain, anything possible to make it better. And I get that. I'm a father of two girls and trust me, if I see them in pain or hurting, <laughs> my number one priority is to try to console, uplift, and heal, you know, and sometimes just listening, for sure, I get that, but my parents used to come to me and be like, hey, do you want to do karate? Do you want to do this, you know, pick up ball lead? Do you want to, maybe get you a personal trainer? Like, all these things, but every time they came to me, <laughs> I'd be like, you just want me to change. You don't think I'm good enough. You think I'm fat. You think I'm ugly, you know, like, just wow. right away into this defensive mode and attacking them and just acting out, and I knew that was happening, but I felt like I was being attacked, you know, and I was being judged and I just, I wasn't in a good place. And I, and I think we've all probably been in those situations where we know we want to make a change and we're not sure how, and all those that are around us that see us sad, you know, they just want to help. And, and I know they're coming from a place of love, but trust me, it didn't feel like love at the time. Uh, but here I was, I came out and my dad saw this and he's like, whoa, he, like, I'm driving it. Right. And he's like, okay, well, we got to strike the iron while it's hot here, you know? And within a few days, he took me out to buy a mountain bike. Because I, I didn't want to go anywhere public. Again, you have to realize, like, I'm an obese teenager at this point, And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere where anybody has to see me exercising. Like, I, no one needs to see that. Like, I walk up a flight of stairs. You see me sweat. You see me huff and puff. Like, people already know I'm not healthy. I, I know I'm not healthy. I don't need that extra little bit of, of intimidation. So I, I thought, well, listen, I can ride a bike. I can just go out. I can cycle. We lived in a rural part of Ontario, just outside of Toronto. So once you got outside of town, it was all farmland. And so I just I'd get on the bike. 
like literally get on the bike. I, I take my dad's AM FM old Sony Walkman, the old yellow bricks. <laughs> if you look on eBay, they sell for a lot because they're classic now, right? <laughs> but uh, I would have a tape and on one side Tragically Hip, the other side Alice in Chains. And so I would ride until Tragically Hip side was done. And as soon as I flipped over and I heard Alice in Chains, I knew it was time to turn around and go home. And that's what I did. And then I changed how I was eating. I just stopped eating a lot of the, uh, you know, sugars and a lot of the refined carbohydrates, a lot of the foods out of boxes, <laughs> you know, cause it, my mom, you know, she would often not get home till after dinner mm. and uh, which would mean my brother and I have to look after ourselves and for convenience sake, you know, we'd have a lot of like pizza pops, pizzas, like just stuff out of boxes. And you know, my mom was doing the best she could, but she was giving us what she felt was right for two growing boys. Right. And, uh, which is a, a, a tough place to be too for her. I get that. And, uh, but then I took an interest in starting to cook and preparing meals from scratch. And, and so all of a sudden I just started to see some positive results. I started to feel better, you know, like in three and a half weeks in, I remember going on my bike ride. There's always this big, massive mountain. Okay. Now I say that jokingly because you're from Pacific Northwest, Haley. Yeah. yeah. We have mountains here. <laughs> like, <laughs> real mountains, like the Rockies. And uh, yet, again, my limited scope. Uh, at the time, that Concession Road Hill. Uh, <laughs> concession <laughs> was sort of like the, the, the border of our town. And uh, there's this big hill. To me, it was Everest, right? As that morbidly obese fat kid riding his bike up towards it, I'm like, maybe there's a different route. I don't have to go up this hill. And you know, all the mind, like, ah, okay, I'm just going to try it. And that first day, making it a third of the way up, and just like getting to a point where I'm like, I'm not moving. I'm not moving backwards. And then just, boop, <laughs> you know, fall off to the side. And and I thought to myself, maybe I just turn around and go back home. I, maybe this isn't right for me. And I was like, ah, okay, I just got out of here. I, I, no, I, I, I can't quit yet. I, I, I'm not going to accept that. So I walked the bike to the top and kept going. I kept coming back to that hill. And it wasn't until three and a half weeks in, I ascended without getting off the bike. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you, Haley, when I made it to the top that day, that was the first real big win where I finally realized that, you know, change is possible. But it's not only possible, we can be in control of it to an extent, you know, like based on our actions that we're taking, we can help facilitate change. Like, and I really felt like I'm empowered to change myself. And look, there's proof in three and a half weeks. I couldn't do this three weeks ago. And today I did it. So even though like the number on the scale, my pants, like belt size wasn't changing uh, at a rate that I was noticing it, that little piece was enough to say, whoa, this is working. And uh, 20 months later, I released that weight. I, I started doing weight training. So I really started to work on my physique. I was still working on nutrition. And uh, you know, I just realized a brand new lifestyle that allowed me to really thrive and, and lean into this place of, of being healthy and, and in loving that and respecting that. And, uh, but the problem is, you know, with the health and wellness industries is specifically the fitness industry. I have a love-hate relationship with it because it is very surface-driven. Right? It's very much about quantifying things like how much do you weigh on the scale? What's your dress size? How fast can you run a mile? How many push-ups can you do? You know, like we're very quick to just put a number to everything. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to emphasize the qualifying of our goals and our results. You know, it's that emotional connection that we have and what it provides to us in our life. You know, like by losing and releasing that weight, I gained so much more. So release the weight gain self-confidence, you know, gain awareness that I can make changes happen. 
it also, and this is sort of put an end or a period at the end of this long run on sentence, uh, <laughs> where you ask a simple question, like, tell me about your childhood. Well, this is like the biggest memory I have, right? And, uh, but it also set me up for everything that I've done ever since I turned 17, 18 years old. And because my friends and my parents saw this transformation and, and I remember them cousin asking me questions about fitness and nutrition and them making lifestyle change. And this is the first time in my life. You have to understand, you know, like I, up to that point, people didn't ask me my opinion about anything. I wasn't seen as someone that knew much about anything. And here all of a sudden people wanted to hear what I had to say because they saw me create these results for myself. So they were like, can you help me too? And so that co idea of coaching and mentorship and supporting others. And I was like, wow, this feels really good to help people. And ever since then, I've just been helping people, you know, with transformations, either in their lives, their businesses, usually both, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, I really enjoy it. I feel that's what I'm here to do. And uh, I've done it in lots of different capacities, you know, for those 26 years since then. But uh, that's, that's like the most impactful part of my, I guess, pre-adulthood history, you know, and uh, I love my parents dearly. And um, I think my dad every day. Um, even though we may not have had the closest of relationships uh, on an emotional level, there was a lot of respect for one another. And, and I know we care for each other in our own ways, you know, but uh, my mom just moved to Vancouver, which is awesome. You know, she's in her mid seventies and now she's out here with her boys. Cause my brother lives here too. I got him to move out and nice. you know, my kids are here. So she wants to be close to the grandkids. So it's just, it, it feels like it's uh, full circle right now. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of neat, but um, yeah. yeah, that's my childhood. Whew, that is inspirational. Also, a wild, wild roller coaster of events. And, you know, it's sometimes hard to feel like, uh, you know, during those moments or where we're in the trenches, especially when we're in them or had just gotten out of them, it's like, whoa, was that worth it? And then, you know, years, months, weeks later, you're like, whoa, yeah, it was. And that happened for a reason and everything fell into place in the way that it should. So I think that's such a beautiful story and thank you for sharing that. And one thing that kept sort of repeating in my mind as you were saying that was the relationship that we have with ourself. Mm -hmm. And if we can cultivate that and nourish it and cherish it and grow that, then we become these people who are living in our own empowerment. And because of that, other people see it and want to feel more empowered as well. And it's just really living by example. And by increasing the brightness of our own light, we can shed some light on other people who are sort of in the darkness, and they can seek out help from others. And so that it, like you said, it comes full circle, you were once in this dark place, and you were able to brighten and you're now doing that for other people. So it's so inspiring. And thank you. When I think of communication with ourself, it reminds me of awareness and really cultivating that sense of, okay, I am managing my emotions, or I should say being more aware of my emotions. Mm -hmm. And then what that is, how that's manifesting in my life, how, how that is affecting the outcomes that are happening around me. I'd love to hear your perspective on how we can start to cultivate better communication or a stronger mm. relationship with ourselves so that we can mm. find those nuggets that we're, we're trying to, uh, the golden nuggets we're trying to dust off and, and make right. known to people. Well, I, I have to be really transparent with you that in my 20s and even into my early 30s, I wouldn't have been able to answer that question very well. And reason being is I, I 
learned, you know, going through that experience was wonderful. You know, you know, looking back on it, obviously going through it, it's like, oh, can't wait till this is over. <laughs> you know, like, can I just get to where I want to get to? Like, can I just, that's a, it's like the Star Trek uh, in me is like, just beat me up, man. Just get me where I got to get to. You know, <laughs> can I just get there? And uh, now coming to appreciate that it just, you don't get there. You just constantly are striving ahead in the right direction <laughs> to the best of our ability. Right. And, uh, but I was very focused on just the exterior. I didn't really do any of the internal reflecting at all like no inner work yeah i read a couple mindset books as it related to some people that i was inspired by like you know the arnold schwarzeneggers of course uh the weeders uh if you think about joe and ben weeder and just like old school weightlifting because again back in the 80s and early 90s that was still the norm you know like they were the authorities in the weightlifting and bodybuilding space so you know looking at that they talk about mindset and stuff but not really any of that inner stuff you know, the inner journey was not anything that I'd been, I'd discovered yet. And, uh, and then in my early twenties, I started to, to open up to the idea. You know, I remember reading Paulo Coelho's, uh, The Alchemist, you know, and after reading that, I was like, oh, you know, this, this idea of just following our path, you know, maybe, maybe it's because I always, I just found it such a beautiful story, right? That, that sort of that idea that trust in the process, because ultimately it, you'll, it'll guide you to the right place you need to be. And, um, so that idea started to open up and I remember reading Eckhart Tolle's Power Now, you know, and so it was, it was definitely dripping on me. But when I look at my sphere of influence and also the way I was, how I would connect with people, because I was, I was naturally introverted as a child uh, based on my previous health, my own belief systems around who I was and what people thought of me, just made me feel like I always had it to kind of turtle, right? <laughs> you know, sort of hide. And, um, and yet, which is really interesting because now I work mainly as an extrovert, but believe me, my natural default's more introverted. Uh, when I work as an extrovert, like if I go to a keynote and a big event, I need a few days to recover afterwards. You know, like it takes a lot for me to do it, but I love it. I enjoy it. I want to make an impact. I want to help. I want to, you know, really make a difference. And I know that's one of my best ways to do that. And uh, so I do it, but just letting people know that the, the energy piece, I'm hyper aware of that now and how it affects because the way I am around my family when I'm depleted, you know, I'm like, oh man, I don't want to be around me either. So it's now creating those little protocols to, so that, but that's a different conversation. And back to your question. You know, I, I learned very quickly that food when I was early on was a great way to self-medicate, you know, to escape, to numb some of the stress, the anxiety, to give myself momentary relief from how I was feeling about myself, even though it would always come back <laughs> rather quickly. Uh, it didn't matter. I'd, I'd learned that, wow, you know, I can find external sources to, to make myself feel better in the moment. And then early on in my 20s, I discovered that, wow, alcohol has that exact same effect like food used to. Because on the inside, I was still the morbidly obese fat kid, even though I'd done a great job at redefining my exterior, the inside of the house was still in shambles. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't. Um, so I, I'd started to advance in my career, which was great. You know, I met my wife-to-be. We started having kids after a few years. And, you know, and then I had an opportunity to be a founding partner for a, a company. And, and we went national, you know, with e-com and brick-and-mortar retail and, and in the fitness industry again, but selling equipment. And, and I loved it. I really did enjoy it. But again, it's a very male-dominated industry. 
a lot of it has to do with being social, you know, making deals on the golf course. Like a lot of the cliches that we often associate with business this is my first foray into it. And I was like, wow, this is like watching TV, you know, this is, <laughs> you go play golf and then you go and drink and it just, anyways, I, I found myself uh, very much a, a, a willing participant in these cliches. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't know anything better. And some of my earliest mentors, this is what they do. So I'm like, well, this must be what you do. You want to be successful. This is what we do. And, and I did it. And I realized if I have a couple of drinks and I can talk to anybody about anything, <laughs> you know, I, it was just really interesting how that works. Right. And, uh, and then later drinking just became a very regular habit for me. And sometimes it would lead to narcotic use and other times it could also lead to me doing things I'm not proud of, you know, mm-hmm. like almost riding off a car and tying, like, you would think that would be a wake-up call, mm-hmm. um, and yet it wasn't. And then I got into my early 30s, and I could see that it was really taking a toll on my relationship, but also me and my health again, because here I was, someone that had really been quite uh, involved in the health and wellness space, you know. And like, I hate even using the term influencer, but you know, as I started to build my platform online as a, further as a way to help people with healthy living. Meanwhile, on the other side of things, I was living this double life, which created, you know, when you start thinking about cognitive dissonance and other psychological terms that talk about this sort of break in integrity internally, you know, like we all have core values. We have things that are really important, non-negotiable. And if you haven't defined those, that would be one of the things I would answer your question with is get really clear. What are the values, the things that are so important to you in your life that if I ask you, you know, what are your values right now? You give me an answer. And if we met again 20 years from now, I ask you the same question the answer would probably be almost the same. That's how you know it's really a core value, something that is timeless for you, um, but unshakable, non-negotiable. And I always said family and fitness were a couple of mine. And here I was definitely degrading the quality of my time with family based on my choices outside of family. And then also on the flip side, you know, I talk about living a healthy, active lifestyle. And meanwhile, you know, every opportunity I get, I'm having a drink with somebody or going out and not sleeping. Like I'm just not practicing what I'm preaching. Right. All of a sudden I started feeling a lot of those feelings I felt again when I was a teenager, morbidly obese. It was just wild, right? To see all this stuff happening internally. And then got to a point one day I came home after an all night bender. I still don't remember how I got home, but I got home. My, my, my wife was pretty upset because, you know, someone dropped me off and obviously rang the doorbell. She had to come let me in and whatever time that was. So that was just, you know, icing on the cake again. And uh, it wasn't, and I wish I could say, well, this is a one-off, no big deal. I mean, this is pretty par for the course, as they say. And uh, that next morning when I finally woke up, very hungover, I remember making my way to the kitchen and yeah, my wife was pretty upset. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> she, she's a, a, a tinge of ginge, you know, natural redhead. She's a fiery. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's what I love about her too, though. Uh, she was always quick to call me out on stuff because every time she looked at me and, and I always loved this about her is when, when she looks at me, I, I could always tell that she was seeing potential that I never saw in myself. Mm. And it made me feel like 10 foot tall and bulletproof, right? Like just made me feel very special, but also confident that like, almost like I could do no wrong because this is my family. This is my wife. This is my partner in life. Like we both want the best for each other, even though sometimes my actions didn't model it. I know it's what I wanted, which again, created a little bit of internal strife. So here she is, she sent me down and, and basically to cut a long conversation short, uh, we got to the point where she was like, I, I got to take her kids away, you know, 
they were both under the age of six at the time, both my daughters. And uh, she's like, this isn't an environment to raise our kids in. And, and it was really hard, Haley, because at that exact moment, I was like, you know, being someone that's quite good in sales <laughs> after having a career in it, uh, I'm really good at handling objections and talking my way out of tough situations. But here in that moment, I was like, I've got no defense. I've got no excuse. I've got no argument. You know, my old tactics would be, oh, my phone died. Meanwhile, I just turned it off so I didn't have to reply to texts or answer my phone while I was out. You know, like I had all these little tricks of, of making excuses, you know, or blaming other people for my, my, my issues. And uh, she wasn't going to have it anymore. And uh, she then asked me another question. And it was, die. are you being the type of man that you'd want your daughters to marry? Mm. And it was like a lightning bolt, you know? It's just like, oh, that, that doesn't feel good, <laughs> yeah. you know? Because for once, it was like I, I had this mirror just thrust in my face, and I've got to look at myself. But more than look at myself, I've got to look inside. And uh, I, I realized I was not being that guy. I was not role modeling what a great husband is, what a great dad is, you know? Like, if a guy like me showed up on my doorstep, at that time in my life, you know, 11 years ago and said, Hey, <laughs> I'd like to meet the ladies of your life. I'd, I'd be like, you get out of here. You're not getting across the threshold. And I never want to see you here again. And yet that's who I was saying was okay to come around uh, through my actions. And uh, right then and there, I just, I, I made a commitment similar. I, I imagine it would have been similar to what my dad experienced when I came out of that bathroom sobbing, <laughs> you know, that, that day when I was 14 and, and hit that point where I was like, you know, I'm making some changes. And, and uh, I'm sure that's what my wife saw because as soon as I made this next commitment right away, you know, I, I said, I'm going to go one year, no drinking. I'm just one year, no alcohol, which would be like the longest since I was like 17, 18, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm not just doing it for you guys. I'm doing this for me. And my wife, all of a sudden I could see in her eyes. Oh, there's that look again. She can see the potential. There's the guy that she, she loves and fell in love with, you know, and, decided to have her life with and uh which was a nice feeling as well and and I, I knew I had a upward uphill battle ahead like a big one you know because I'll be very frank with you I took away the crutches they, they, they were really great crutches like <laughs> I, I could function very well in my life but you take away those crutches you know I took away the alcohol and all of a sudden I was left you know within a couple of weeks I'm like what am I gonna do how do I do this Again, similar to that 14, it's like, I, I know I want to make this change, but I don't really know how I'm going to do this. And uh, as much as I thought I could do it on my own, like I did when I was 14, I, I still had some mentors some people around me. I was able to ask questions with, I, and I had the books that I picked up. I didn't feel that this was something I could do on my own. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember finding a psychologist to work with, worked with him for three, four months. I worked with the counselor, worked with the relationship counselor. Um, really started to evaluate my association in my life, the people that I was hanging around the most mm -hmm. and uh, changed all that because I knew I had to. Mm -hmm. But also it, they made it kind of easy because some of the people that would normally call, I'm like, I'm not drinking. And, you know, you go out and you meet up anyways and, you know, people get two or three drinks in. It, any semblance of a conversation, it, it just, it's really difficult to have because we're both in two very different places. But I was craving deeper conversation and deeper connection. I really was, like I wanted that. I think it was something that I, I always deeply wanted. I wanted to, to, to be able to, to open up, to, to share, to connect, to relate yeah. <laughs> to, to, to people, especially other men. And because I'd always looked at men as competition. 
I never trusted being vulnerable around men because I was like, if I'm vulnerable, they're going to use it against me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's just really hard to develop that trust. So conversations were usually superficial. We didn't talk about our feelings, didn't talk about what's going on in our home life. Like it was just very superficial. Yeah. And uh, so I was craving more depth as well. And as I was going down that path of just building up uh I guess my own inner resilience and getting to know me and what matters to me. What do I want for me, you know, and what's going to make me happy and uh, made it through that year. And I got to the end of the year and I had more personal growth in that one year than I had in the previous decade. And I was like, I like this. I like how my family is. I like how I'm performing at work. I like how I'm able to lead people. I, I, I was like, I like who I'm becoming. This is who I always thought I was going to be. And I actually see it's like going up that hill, right? That, that, mm-hmm. that hill, making it to the top that very first time. It was like, all of a sudden I started to see that this inner work I was doing, you know, like adding meditation in, mm-hmm. getting back to my fitness, like being active every day, just, just to get a little bit of a sweat, just move my body with a little bit of purpose, you know, started feeding my mind with positive messages, mm-hmm. reading positive books, listening to, uh, at that time, very limited amount of podcasts out there, you know, <laughs> and, and, and also just, just watching a lot of even YouTube videos and Ted talks and documentaries, like just really working on feeding my mind with mm-hmm. positive things, not all the negative things like the movies, the video games, right? Like all that stuff. And, uh, so just really basic stuff to try to build a relationship with myself mm-hmm. and show myself that I actually cared. You know, as much as we say, you know, self-care, yeah, self-care rituals are important. I mean, if we don't prioritize that for ourselves, who will? Yeah. I, I have yet to find a job that says, hey, Dad, we're going to pay you to just look after yourself. <laughs> I mean, if there's any out there, anybody that's listening or watching this, if you, if you have a position like that, I'm, I'm for hire, okay? <laughs> and, and I, yeah, anyways, but it, I haven't seen that yet, right? And, and, and so we have to recognize that, I mean, no one's going to do it for us. I mean, they may encourage us, they may try to support us with it, but we still have to do the work. Mm-hmm. we got to do the work and uh fast forward it, it shifted everything like everything shifted in that first year and then the next year it was like it was compounding in a big way right like i just was like wow i'm feeling so good i'm feeling so connected i feel on purpose i feel like i have meaning in my life again you know you, you talked about the, the light shining right being able to shine on others and, and i was like i want to help others do this stuff mm-hmm. so i just started supporting more and more people so outside of my work even though i was you know co-founding partner of this company that was growing and scaling and doing a lot of stuff. I, I wasn't feeling as connected with what I was doing there anymore. And so I was doing more and more things outside of work, passion projects, volunteering, charitable donations, like through my time, my energy, my effort to help them, mm-hmm. not just signing a check. You know, I was like, no, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to help. <laughs> I'm going to rally people together. We're going to do some fun events. We're going to raise some money to, to help these organizations rather than me just donating some money, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, just opened my eyes to, man, life can be whatever I want. So again, it reaffirmed that change is possible. Mm-hmm. And it's now been over 11 years. I haven't had a drink. And it's not, listen, I just valued my alcohol over that of what was truly important in my life. I was just, I was choosing. I was always aware, just like turning off my, my cell phone because I didn't want to text my wife back when I, because I knew I was like, I want to say yes to another drink or two. I know I said I was going to be home at this time. I'll just pretend that my cell phone died. I forgot, you know, no more of that, you know, no more muting aspects of my life. No more running away from certain responsibilities, really leaning into what I want and what I believe will make me happy and then going for it Yeah. You know, while being very integral with my values. Yes. And, and so that was it. And, and, you know, it's an ongoing process. Like, Hey, trust me, I'm still trying to figure it all out, 
but I realized there was some crutches I needed to clear away. And when you clear away crutches, you do usually realize that you've had some, some parts of your body or life that have atrophied. <laughs> so it needs some focused energy and time and support to, to rebuild it. It's okay. I mean, what else are you going to do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the cool thing was, is man, I had a lot more, like more money because <laughs> I wasn't spending money, more time, but also more energy, focus, and clarity mm-hmm. by making that one choice, just removing that one thing from my life provided all that. And then it just kept compounding. And I was like, wow, why would I want to go back? It's just yeah. a choice. Like I, I'm around people that drink all the time. My wife drinks. That's fine. Like, she's much more responsible than I was, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's just a choice. Right. And I just choose the path I'm walking right now. And who, who's to say, like my wife says, well, do you think you'll never have a drink? I'm like, I don't know. We'll, we'll be in Tuscany one day. And if we want to have a glass of wine, we'll have a glass of wine. I mean, but right now I'm like, no, I, I have no inkling or desire or want, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it doesn't fit into to what I'm doing right now. And, and so it's just a choice. Um, but yeah, so that's, I know a long winded answer to answer your question, but those are some aspects that I found were very helpful and useful in, in my journey to try to develop that inner relationship to figure out h- how to make me just love myself, you know, yeah. get to like myself even before that, you know? And uh, yeah. so that, that was really how it worked for me mm-hmm. anyways. Yeah, that's amazing. And it all really starts what you said before about making that commitment to who you want to become. Yes. That version of yourself that you yes. know is possible. And you're like, I know that deep down, this is what I want and who I want to become. And then making that commitment and saying, okay, what do I need to remove from my life that is draining my cup rather than filling it? And yes. what can I add into my life that's going to fill it rather than drain it? And a huge part of that, and you mentioned this, is community, surrounding yourself mm-hmm. with positive people. And I think too, when we think of, oh, cool, yes, I'm gonna, you know, find all these great people to to help me think positive and enrich my life. It's like, well, where do I find them? How, how right. we get overwhelmed with the process of yes. like finding them and who it's gonna be and how they're gonna help us. But I think too we forget that we have this beautiful thing called the internet. And as Mm -hmm. you said, you know, now way more than back when you were doing it, more podcasts, right? More YouTube videos, more people who are out there every single day teaching what will fill your cup and teaching you how to cultivate the, or more so um, be aware of these emotions and then cultivate the outcomes that we want. And I think we forget like, if, if somebody's listening who's struggling with how do I find these right people, start with what you have already. You know, maybe, maybe it's not immediate friends or family. And hopefully it is. And you've got a loving, supportive family, but a lot of people don't. And so seeking that in other outside sources, whether it's groups or just self-education and self-growth. And my goodness, uh, when I started my own journey of self-growth, yeah, I, I, nobody I knew who was around me was this mindful guru, yoga master, mm-hmm. entrepreneur. I didn't know anybody like that, but I found them through the internet. And I think awesome. maybe before it, it could have felt, oh, well, like, how is somebody on the internet supposed to really change your life? Or how is somebody who's just talking about X, Y, Z supposed to really have an impact on you? And it's not so much the knowledge that we gain from them. It's what we choose to do with that knowledge. And I think we hear that all the time. It requires a bit of action and it requires that commitment that you were talking about and saying, okay, is what I'm learning serving my future self, my, the person I am becoming? 
And if it is, how do I implement it into my life? How do I say today, this is how I'm going to take this piece of information and plug in and play. And I think that that's a vital key that we usually overlook or procrastinate until later is probably the more common one. Absolutely. As a, as a beautiful bow to wrap everything up, how would you suggest tackling the, that issue of, okay, cool. We, we know what we should do. We have this feeling where we know where we want to go and we've got the knowledge, we've got the information, but what's that first step mm-hmm. in actually plug and play? There's a couple of things. And, and, and actually you said it, you summed it up really, really well, uh, Haley. I, I really resonate with how you, you just, as you said, wraps it up with a nice bow, you know, and, and this last little piece. Yeah. The, the, the action items, uh, there's a few different directions. I think people can ultimately go, but either way, it's, it's a matter is the direction you're choosing heading closer towards that vision, right? That, that idea of who you feel inside you're meant to become. And, and sometimes we're so far removed from that, it's hard to, to fully commit <laughs> to the vision and just trust that if you're at least walking towards it, you're going to start to see some benefits. And so there is that, almost like a leap of faith because we're often coming from a place where we might be making changes based out of desperation, feeling like we need to do this rather than I get to do this or I want to do this. You know, it's like, I need to do this. And yeah, it can be a great place to come from, but I find in myself, when I've come from that place, it, it's been very reactionary <laughs> rather than being proactive mm-hmm. and, and being able to rationalize my way through it. So, uh, you know, back to the question you asked, I know that association and who you hang around with is a big, big deal. You know, having a community that you feel connected to is, and you feel more than just connected, like you belong there, right? That sense of belonging. It, it is very, very powerful, but also empowering. So I always suggest that, you know, finding out where are you hanging your hat regularly? Who's feeding into your life? Really looking at those relationships closely and recognizing the ones that are in alignment with who you want to be and where you want to go versus the ones that might be judgmental. Or at certain times I find that they can be hypercritical about some of the new choices or positive actions that we start to make and these changes that we want to make. Because I, I truly feel that people are fearful of one being left behind and, and you know, hurting people hurt people. <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's hard to just celebrate someone else's victories, which is mm-hmm. interesting, isn't it? And, and that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> uh, so something I would like to just put forward is you know, the idea of regret. I mean, when we think about regret, it's often, it's a negative, right? Like, it's like, I feel very sad or remiss that I didn't do something. Or maybe we did do something. <laughs> but either way, we have this sort of negative memory attached to this thing that we did or we didn't do. And what I like to ask people is, well, think about things that you'll never regret doing. As an example. I don't ever have clients message me, you know, two or three in the afternoon and say, Di, I had a beautiful salad with cedar plank salmon for lunch. I really regret doing that. You know, I, I haven't received that message yet. <laughs> you know, I, I myself, you know, after I finish a workout, I never think to myself, you know, at the end of my day, man, I really regret working out today. Mm-hmm. I really regret reflecting on my gratitudes today. I really regret meditating today. I regret 
having that deep conversation with my daughter today. Like there's certain things we just don't regret ever. So when we start thinking about the things that we do or we don't do, it's asking ourselves, fully being well aware and, uh, you know, rather stoic about this, you know, try to remove the emotions, rationalize your way through it, but really think, and this is this idea of being mindful, being aware of some of our choices and how they make us feel, mm-hmm. right? Like just, so I know mindfulness is overly played. I mean, it's, it's used a lot nowadays, but just that awareness we have of ourselves mm-hmm. and how certain actions and thoughts make us feel. Because if we're aware of that, we can start to do things to change it. And so if you find yourself about to start on a path to make some changes, because you've recognized, ah, I want to make some changes, right? Because everyone deserves to be happy, to feel fulfilled, to have a life filled with joy. Everyone deserves that. Everybody. And, and, and I truly believe that. And so if you feel that you're not at the level you want to be from happiness, fulfillment, joy, you have the ability to make some changes. So mm-hmm. when you start to lean into some of those changes, ask yourself, will I regret doing this or will I regret not doing it? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why I quit my career 17 years. You know, I, I left top of my game. I was very comfortable. My family was very comfortable, but I was so unfulfilled. And so I left, I quit. My wife quit her job a month later. A few months after that, pulled the kids out of school, gave away all our stuff, packed up our SUV, started traveling. Because we had had conversations. Now, it took a couple of years to get to that point. Like, trust me, I, I was, <laughs> took a lot of convincing of myself that that was something I really wanted. I had to sit with it a lot. I had to work through the, a lot of the fears and concerns I had on that idea because it went against everything that I believed up to that point, you know, based on my mentorship and who I was hanging around. But, but I felt like I needed a change. And uh, so we rationalized. We started talking. Like, <laughs> You know, when you start thinking about fear, you know, Tim Ferriss talks about an exercise called fear setting. You know, you start asking yourself, well, what's the worst that could happen if I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, and we started thinking, well, the worst that can happen is ultimately, I mean, yeah, of course we could get hurt, but we can get hurt here too. <laughs> it doesn't matter where we're at, but there's always that, that, that potential. Um, but the real one was like, well, what if we just run out of money? And I'm like, oh, fortunately we have parents that care for us. We have friends that have couches. Like we come back, we get jobs. And we just start again. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And we, we agree that it's not that big of a deal. Because 10, 15, 20 years down the road, when we had said, oh, we'd like to do some more traveling, our kids would be away, maybe having their own grandkids, you know, we'll have grandkids and all that. And then we'll be like, we'll be sitting there thinking, remember that time in our late 30s where we thought, wow, why don't we be a full-time family and see the world? Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it have been great if we did that? Yeah, I really regret not doing that. Mm. I did not want to be that guy having that conversation yeah yeah and, and so we just fully leaned into that change so that that's that sort of I, I hope you can take away a couple of those ideas there so those that are listening yeah. like, i'm just giving you I, i'm not here to be so prescriptive saying do this <laughs> we're all different mm-hmm. but those are things that i found work for me unfortunately you know after having conversations with lots of other people have gone through life transformations you know like really big changes i found a lot of similarities and parallels in how we've done it Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's the first step, you know, and, and I think just starting pr- regular self-care is the best place to begin any changes. Learning how to love yourself and respect yourself and doing little deposits every day to show that mm-hmm. has such a positive compounding effect on our, our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health, <laughs> and also our spiritual health. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it's often connected to our financial health as well, yeah. at least from what I've experienced, what I've seen. 
you know, and others. Like when you get all those other things working for you, people just seem to all of a sudden do better financially. And some people call it the law of attraction, you know, law of the universe. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff there. Right. We can have another conversation with that, but, but that's where I'll leave that. And, and hopefully there was something there that, that people get some value from. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what things will we know we're not going to regret? That's such a good starting place to be able to take it and then flourish from there and say, mm -hmm. okay, cool. Now that, cause that's pretty much standard golden rule across the board. What is things that you're not going to regret? So I love that. And one thing that um, you said, which I, gosh, I just, I loved the word. You said we became a full-time family and we'll have to put a bookmark in this and I'll have to talk to you again. We'll have to make a part two because <laughs> For sure. um, there's so many things that I want to talk about, but I think this was an incredible conversation and I really value how much you shared about your personal story because I think so often we hear, you know, we go on podcasts, we look at YouTube videos, we hear all this information and a lot of uh, the time, and I do this too, is we do sort of prescribe we try and prescribe a solution for people. But in reality, when we hear that prescription, we try and apply it to our life, but it doesn't work because it's not our life. And so hearing your story and taking bits and pieces that work from that and applying that to our life, that's a whole lot more effective, more challenging because we, we got sure. a lot of stuff to figure out on our own, but yeah. really effective. And so with a final parting question for you, if there was one person listening and they were just so engaged in everything that you were saying and you could just speak to that one person, what would you say to them? Well, I always think about something that Buddha said. You know, like, and I mean, this is like 2,500 years ago, right? But, but remember this, Buddha said this too shall pass. And I think we're all very quick to think when he said that rather prescriptively, you know, this too shall pass. Like it's very positive. It's optimistic. You know, there's a lot of hope in that statement. It's like, don't worry, as hard as things are, We'll get better. We'll get through this. We're resilient, which we are as a species. We've proven. You know, the climate change experts will probably say we're overly resilient, but we're resilient as a species, and and it's in our DNA to 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 want to thrive. And so, yeah, this too shall pass. But what we sometimes forget is he was also talking about all the great things in our lives. Mm. You know, all those amazing experiences, those connections, like our firstborn, our secondborn, every child we have born, right? The first time we met our life partner. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many things that happen in our life, but they pass as well. Mm. So it's that awareness of right now. It's the only thing that's real, right now, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> yeah, after right now, well, it's, it's just something that happened. It really doesn't have any direct influence on what we do tomorrow. It can, but not really, only if we choose to allow it, right? And, and what happens tomorrow, we don't really know. If we did, well, I, I would have bought Bitcoin 10 years ago, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that's where I want to leave it, you know, is, yeah, this will pass. But remember, it's your life. And, and every special moment should be cherished. And, and just, just remember that. There's so much to be grateful for. And if you can really lock in on that feeling of gratitude and what you can be grateful for, for having in your life right now, mm -hmm you'll realize that in that feeling of gratitude, there's no room for any other emotions. Mm. Lock that in. Lock that Beautiful. in. You know? Beautiful. So, so yeah, that's what I wanted to leave with. Yes, that is so good. I absolutely love it. And uh, I had never really thought about it that way before. So it's a really good perspective shift of, yeah, this too shall pass positive or negative and really yeah. cherish the moment that we're in right now. So thank you so much, Di. I had 
genuinely a really good conversation with you. And it's not often that I get to hear people open up uh, as in depth as you did and share from your experiences. So that was really awesome. And I know Thanks, that wh- whoever is listening will hopefully feel the same way about that. So I really appreciate it. Thank you again. And I'm sure this will not be the last time that we speak to each other. Definitely not. And uh, once we can travel again, trust me, I'll be chasing some sunshine. Florida sure sounds nice. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, come on down. All right, man. Well, you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. And I'll talk to you soon. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Letting It All Hang Out. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. And as always, I know I did. I'd love to hear your thoughts and start a conversation with you. So feel free to send me a voice message right here on Anchor. Or you can send me a message on any of my social media platforms at Haley Kalani. That's H-A-Y-L-E-E-K-A-L-A-N-I. Much love to you all. Until next time, stay well.